We've just had the joy of witnessing the baptisms of four dear saints, reminding us that our God is the God who saves. And we now have the joy and honor of celebrating the Eucharist together. Jesus has given us two sacraments, that of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Both of these are gifts to the Church of Jesus Christ because both visually capture for us the meaning and significance of the salvation we have from God through Christ Jesus our Lord. And in order to prepare our hearts to partake of the Eucharist together, the table of thanksgiving, I want to briefly draw our attention to the words that were read earlier in Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 23, Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus Christ. This is what we read. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This child that was to be born to Mary was unique. For one, this child was not created by ordinary means. He was, as the passage tells us, conceived by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God. Luke's account tells us how this would be when Mary asked how it was possible since she was but a virgin. This is what we read in Luke 1, 34 to 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This was no ordinary conception. It was a miraculous conception. And the miracle of it all points to or reveals the uniqueness of this child. It's not an ordinary conception, and it's not an ordinary child. The the conceiving of Mary by the Holy Spirit is an indication that this child is more than just a mere mortal. That what resides in Mary's womb was both truly God and truly man. And this is why, as verse 23 indicates, he would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, Christianity is unashamed, unashamed about the miraculous. And let me say this. You're not some primitive anti-science, anti-reason, anti-intellectualism for believing in the miraculous. It's not unreasonable to believe that an all-powerful God out of nothing created the heavens and the earth. It's far more unreasonable to believe that our universe with its intricate design and order came about by mere chance. The atheist believes in the miraculous. 
For it would be an absolute miracle for our universe to come into existence without some kind of mind or designer behind it. It takes way more faith, in my opinion, to believe that all, we, all that we see came to be by mere chance. But the Christian faith makes miraculous claims. And at the heart of the Christian faith are miraculous acts done by the hand of God. And one of those acts was the incarnation of the Son of God. That the eternal, divine Son of God took upon himself a human nature while never giving up his divinity and was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He is God with us, truly God and truly man. The Athanasian Creed went to great lengths to articulate this great mystery. Listen to this ancient creed in its description of the Incarnation. It is necessary for eternal salvation that one also believe in the Incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ faithfully. Now this is the true faith, that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, is both God and man equally. He is God from the essence of the Father. That is, he shares the same essence as God the Father. Begotten before time. That is, eternally begotten. You and I are begotten in time. We have a beginning. But Jesus as the Son of God is eternally begotten. He always has been. And he is man from the essence of his mother. Born in time, completely God, completely man, with a rational soul and human flesh, equal to the Father as regards to divinity, less than the Father as regards to humanity. Although he is God and man, yet Christ is not two, but one. He is one, however, not by his divinity being turned into flesh, but by God's taking humanity to himself. You could say he clothed himself in humanity. He is one certainly not by the blending of his essence, but by the unity of his person. For just as one man is both rational soul and flesh, so too the one Christ is both God and man. This is what Christians have confessed and believed for 2,000 years. And every time we take of the bread and the cup, symbolizing the body and blood of Jesus, we are proclaiming God with us. God with us. This child is unique because of how he was born and who he is, the Son of God in human flesh. But we also see that he is unique for what he will do. Joseph is instructed by the angel to name the baby Jesus Because of what he will do, for we are told he will save his people from their sins. The four testimonies that you heard this morning, the four baptisms, testify to this statement being true. Jesus will save his people from their sins. This single sentence tells us a few things that are important for us to know. The first is this. This statement is an indictment against the human race. It tells us that people, you and I, 
are in need of being saved. It tells us what we need to be saved from. We need to be saved from our sins. The Bible makes clear that sin is lawlessness. Specifically, lawlessness towards God, toward God's moral law, which is an, an extension of his righteous, holy character. So people, you and I, have disregarded, defied, rebelled against God's holy law, and therefore have disregarded and defied God. Before the holy law of God, we all stand guilty, guilty helpless to defend and justify ourselves. We're not good people who sometimes make mistakes. We're sinners enslaved to our sinful desires and enslaved to our defiance and rebellion against God. We can't help but rebel against God. We're told here that we're helpless. We cannot save ourselves. We need to be saved. See, your greatest problem isn't your health issues. It's not that family member or friend who has severely wronged you. It's not the injustices of our world. It's not the corruption of our politicians. No, no. Your greatest problem is that sin has mastery over you and there is no escaping this master by your own strength and ability. See, the fact that Jesus has to save us indicates that we are utterly helpless to save ourselves. And one of the first steps in coming to Jesus is realizing, acknowledging that you are utterly helpless to save yourself. So long as you think you're good enough to not need Jesus' saving, you'll never be rescued, but will always be slave to your master, sin. This statement is an indictment against the human race. Secondly, this statement, he will save them from their sins, is also a statement of hope for humanity. Because it tells us that we can indeed be saved from our sins. It tells us that when we are lost at sea and no longer able to keep swimming, there is one who is there to rescue us from drowning. Sin is the cause for all our misery and suffering and pain in this world. Sin is what destroys our relationships with one another. Sin is what causes our bodies to decay and fail us. Even the creation itself cries out to be rescued from the bondage to decay that sin brought to this world. Why do you think famines and tsunamis and tornadoes and earthquakes happen? Because the creation is cursed by sin. Sin is what condemns us before God. But we're told here that there is one who will rescue us from our sins. You see, the story of Christmas, though it is an indictment on the human race, it's also a story of hope for the human race. It proclaims that sin doesn't have the final word in our lives, but Jesus does. The whole Christian message is one of hope. 
and not the shallow hope of wishful thinking, but a hope that is more certain than the rising of the sun tomorrow. A hope that rests in a man who has wrestled with death and prevailed against it. In Jesus, we can be rescued from our sins. That is the message of Christianity. That is the message of Christmas. He will save his people from their sins is a statement of hope for the human race. Thirdly, this statement tells us that Jesus has a mission and he will not fail in his mission. There is certainty in this statement. He will save his people from their sins. It does not say he may save them from their sins. It does not say he might save them from their sins. He will try to save them from their sins. He will attempt to save them from their sins. No, no. It says he will. Any theology that would suggest that Jesus could possibly fail in saving his people from their sins is a theology that is of no use nor comfort to the souls of lost men. Jesus, as the Son of God, was born with a mission, with a purpose given to him by his heavenly Father, and his entire life on this earth was him fulfilling his mission. He came to save his people from their sins, and he accomplished that. Which means, if Jesus intends to save you, Please know this, you can only resist for so long. Your will is not stronger than the will of Jesus. So you might as well stop resisting now and start surrendering. We were born to be saved, Jesus was born to save. And many of you are evidence that Jesus doesn't fail in saving his people from their sins. Many of you at one point in your life probably never imagined yourself as being someone who would devote your life to Jesus Christ. But lo and behold, you are here worshiping God because of the rescuing grace of Jesus Christ that snatched you from the pit of sin. His will overcame yours. And he prevailed and he saved you and you worship him and praise him for this. You could put it like this. Love always conquers hate. Jesus' love for you conquered your hate for him. We love him because he first loved us. This statement tells us that Jesus has a mission And he will not fail in his mission. Now what this statement doesn't tell us is the means by which he will save us or the how. We're told he will save his people from their sins, but we're not told how he will do. But the rest of the gospel of Matthew does tell us. On the night of the Passover, before Jesus is portrayed by Judas and abandoned by his disciples and then arrested and ultimately murdered and crucified upon the cross, Jesus with his disciples during the Passover meal took bread and a cup of wine. And we read this in Matthew 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take 
eat. This is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant. And hear this, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. How does Jesus save his people from their sins? By offering his body and pouring out his blood as a sacrifice for the sins of the human race. He saves his people by dying for his people. In his death, as Shimwe put it, he took our sin as though they were his own, and on their cross, and on there, on the cross, our sins were punished or judged by God. Justice was done. But it was Jesus who absorbed such justice for us. This is how he saves us from our sins, by taking them upon himself and putting our sins to death through his death by bearing the justice or the holy, righteous indignation of God. And this is why, for over 2,000 years, men and women have continued to experience the salvation of Jesus and have continued to identify with Jesus in the waters of baptism. And this is why, for 2,000 years, Christians have continued to gather on Sundays, no matter how ridiculous our society thinks we are, to take of the bread and to drink of the cup to remember, celebrate, and worship God for sending Jesus to rescue us from our sins. Our confidence and our hope resides in this truth and in this truth alone. Jesus has and will save his people from their sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. For each of us would be utterly lost, enslaved to sin and enslaved to our passions, if not for the grace that you have bestowed upon us through your Son. We thank you for your love, that you sent your Son into the world to die for sinners like me, and, like for, and for those who are here as well. And we pray, Lord, that as we come to this table to remember that you would truly commune with us by your Spirit and that you would sanctify us through this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.